excuse me, we're going to continue our, our sermon series that we've been doing for a long time, and actually we're going to take a break starting next week for Lent, and we will come back to this, but, but we've been doing a series on the opening chapters of Genesis. We've been calling it Beginnings, and, and we're up to a section now um, that's uh, from Genesis 4, about verse 17 through 6, verse 8. And I'll just tell you, this is one of those sections of Scripture that um, most of us, if we're reading through the Bible, are going to read through real quickly. I have never preached on this, and uh, after today, you might wish I never had. But it's, it's one of those kind of strange sections that we often skip, and, and we're not really sure what to make of it. But, but I think there are a couple of really important things for us to learn out of this. And, and I think as we kind of understand what we learn from these chapters, uh, we'll see that it tells us a really, a really powerful picture, gives us a really powerful picture of, of who we are and what we're like. So let me kind of set the stage for this section that we're going, to, uh, we're going to be looking at it. Again, we started off with Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, the story of creation in the Garden of Eden, and everything is the way it's supposed to be. Everything is just right, and, and, and there's no sin, and there's no brokenness, and there's no death, and, and everything is just the way it's supposed to be. Then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and, and it's what we call the fall, where, as we talked about, the serpent convinced Adam and Eve to, to, to rebel against God to put themselves in God's place, to say to God, we know better than you do. Even though God had said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve said, no, we want to know. We, we God don't trust you enough to not do this, so we are going to do this. And so they did that. And at the end of that chapter, at the end of that chapter, something happened. What happened is, is God moved them. And they moved east of Eden, all right? When God brought them out of the Garden of Eden, he moved them east, okay? So if the Garden is here, he's moved them a little bit east. And that's where the end of chapter 3 is. And then Daniel looked at the first part of chapter 4 last week where Cain kills Abel, right? Where, where uh, Adam's firstborn son, Cain, kills his younger brother, Abel. And we see that, that outside of Eden, life is rough and life is broken. And, and there's jealousy and pain and, and all sorts of difficulties that, that we're starting to see, all right? At the end of that section, look at this. At the end of that section, it says this. So Cain, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. And I think what we kind of need to see there is that God is now pushing his people and they're going further and further east of Eden, okay? They're, they're moving further on. That, that as Daniel suggested last week, and I hadn't really thought about this, that when Adam and Eve came out of the garden, they were probably fairly close to Eden. They were probably kind of just outside the doors. They stayed nearby to that place. But now as things spiral down, we move further and further away. We move further and further away, and we go further east of Eden. And the section that we're going to look at today takes place further east of Eden, okay? It's further east of Eden. And, and, and we're going to kind of say, well, what is life like now? What is life like for human beings? Who are we further east of Eden, and what does God do? If we think about this section, again, it's 417 to 68. There are a number of things that happen to it, and it happen in it, and, and, and this is part of the reason why we kind of skip over it. The first thing that happens, and Daniel touched on this a little last week, we get a family tree, right? Cain, and then we got, he was the father of the father of the father of the father of the begats, right? And for most of us, we kind of just go through those and say, I don't get it. And so we get a section of that, and then we get a whole chapter, uh, Seth's family tree. You get two verses in 425 and 26, and then starting over again in chapter 5, and basically this entire chapter is in the same pattern. It's, it's the same thing. There are 10 generations from Adam to Noah, okay? And all of the stories, except for three, seven of the 10 are all told in the same way. Let me give you an example of what's in chapter 5, all right? I'm not going to read all of this stuff, but when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. 
After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. Okay, that's the formula. Look at the next one. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. And if we would go on and read the whole chapter, every one of those, I mean, you can move it up and just change the name, and it's exactly the same. And we get that for seven of the ten generations listed in chapter five. And so it's kind of like, okay, who cares? What's going on? What's the story? But that's, again, what we get, Seth's family tree. Then at the beginning of chapter 6, we get this really fascinating little passage about the sons of God and the daughters of humans. We'll take a look at that this morning for just a little bit. And then we get a verse about the Nephilim, the giants in the land. And we go, wow, this just feels strange. So let's go on and find Noah. Because we know the Noah story a little better. So we jump up to 6, 8, and that's where Noah is. But, but the last thing that happens here is God's response. Okay, so that's kind of what happens. We get these family trees. We get these, you know, who was the father of so-and-so. Strange story about the sons of God and the daughters of humans. Nephilim. What, what do we do with all of this? One other thing before we start to ask what we do with all of this. One of the things we get here is lots and lots of questions, okay? One of the things we get here that lots and lots of questions. And, and I, I, I don't know if you've asked this one. I... I, I I don't usually like to ask people to raise their hands, but I don't know. How many of you have wondered if I was going to address the question of where did Cain's wife come from? Anybody? I mean, come on. Okay, some of you were saying, right. I mean, it's Adam and Eve have Cain and they have Abel and, and then they, they get married. Well, where did their wives come from, right? How do they marry their sisters? You want to know what the answer is? We don't know. Apparently, God said, you don't need to worry about it. God took care of it. Was it their sisters? I don't know if it was. God took care of it. Were there others? The one thing, some people will say, well, maybe God created some other people, and that's who they married and so on. The one thing we have to hold on to, the the thing that's important about this is not as where they come from, but that somehow the Bible makes clear that in Adam we all sinned, okay? And so you can't create another, have another line of people who don't have sin in them, and then they kind of get mixed. And so, no, somehow in the New Testament, Paul says, in Adam we all died, okay? And, and so I don't know, was it, it would have been okay, God's big enough. And, and don't think that the people of Moses' day who first heard this never even asked the question. I mean, they were like us, they know how things work, they had prohibitions against marrying their sister. But, I, you know, I'm sorry, it, it, we just don't know. Did these people really live this long? Seriously? Did you, I mean, right? Methuselah, 969 years? Come on. Sure. God is God. Again, one of the things you got to remember here, numbers are really hard in Hebrew to know. Okay, so it's possible somebody's going to come along and say, oops, we thought it was 969, it was 87. but, but, But the fact is, it does seem this way. And, and, and one of the suggestions is that as God is populating the earth, he allowed longer lifespans. Uh, again, we're going to see one place. We're going to see where God limits it because of sin. God's going to say, you know what? It's 120. We're not going to do these long life things anymore because you guys, you're, you're, you're just not. And, and, and so God limits it. Maybe it was because, again, in the tree of the Garden of Eden had the tree of life, and, and it was possible for Adam and Eve to eat that before they were taken out. Maybe that was still flowing through their veins enough. I, I tend to say, sure, why not? God is God. Um, but I'm not going to, my faith isn't going to be broken if someday somebody comes along and says, oops, we did the numbers wrong and we thought it was this, but it was really this. One interesting thing, the Sumerians <coughs> who were around at this time, this is nothing. They, they claimed that people lived 43,000 years. 
And, 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 and so is this guy, I don't know, but it's, don't worry about it, okay? Sure, just say, yes, God is God, and let's ask what it means, okay? The other one are all these fa- lists, father, son, dire- direct relationships. In other words, could we say, look, there are actually 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and can we figure it out? And, and just by the way, interesting, you know, I mean, yeah, well, we won't go into that. But I mean, are, are there are all these just, because to us, when we do a family tree, we put everybody in it. It's possible it is, but it's not necessarily the case. In the Bible and in this, there are plenty of cases where it says this person was the father of this person, but we know there were three or four generations. They knew there were three or four other generations in there, five or six other generations in there. It's not trying to give us a detailed family tree, okay? So could be that this is exactly kind of father and son, but that's not always the intent of these things. What it is is it's telling us what life is like east of Eden, these are fun questions, and, and I could talk a long time about them, but they're not the point, okay? It, it's not the point. And, and when we start to, I hope you've kind of picked that up through this series. When we start to ask the Bible questions it's not answering, we get real funny. And so we've got to say, what's the Bible trying to teach us? What's the purpose of this? Why is it giving us this information? What do we learn about us? What do we learn about God? And, and this morning, what I want to suggest is that there are two really important lessons. And almost all my time is going to be spent on the first one. Because I think if we understand this, this is the best. I think this is the, because it's the Bible, it's the true. It's the, it's the most accurate explanation of why we are the way we are. And of who we are east of Eden. Of what people are like. And, and, and so one of the key things we learn here is, is who we are. All right, so that's the first lesson. The second one is going to be more about God, and we'll get to that at the end. But here's what I want you to understand, and, and I'll show you in this text where it comes out again and again and again, and I think understanding this will help us understand so much about the world in which we live because we live further east of Eden, okay? This is our world. And what I want to say is the first lesson is this. Because of sin, every human being is a mixed bag. Because we live east of Eden, as we are now, every single human being you meet, you, me, every single one of us is a mixed bag. We bear the image of God in our amazingly creative and amazingly adept and amazingly able to do all sorts of things, but we also bear the mark of sin. And we are amazingly able to be bad. We are amazingly able to fail. We are amazingly able to hurt others. And what we see, as as we just see these names, and as we hear just little snippets of stories, what we see over and over again is that we are made in the image of God and in the image of Adam. Look at this. The first one, I told you that seven of the ten were the same. Adam is not. Look at this. And, and, And Seth is different too. Genesis 5, 1 to 3. This is the written account of Adam's family line, okay? When God created mankind, he made them, we talked about this, in the likeness of God, right? God made Adam in his likeness. And, and, and we said that gave him great creative power. It gave him relationships. It gave him all sorts of things. It is an amazing honor and joy and privilege to be created in the image of God. And every human being still bears some of that image. So when God created mankind, Adam, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Isn't that interesting? He still bears the image of God because Adam bears the image. But now each and every one of us, we are a mixed bag. 
Each and every one of us bears the image of God and the image of Adam. We bear the image of somebody who is able to be so creative and amazing and powerful, but we also bear the image of, of sin and of brokenness. And what we see over and over again is that we are a mixed bag. Let me tell you this. First of all, each and every one of us, we need to know that we can be bad. We can be broken. Each and every one of us knows what it is to sin and to hurt others. Two examples of this that that I want to highlight. First of all, Daniel touched on it last week, but the line of Cain. The line of Cain. Adam had, you know... Cain killed Abel, and then we have Seth. And so one of the lines we get coming out of Adam is the line of Cain. Look at what it says here. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was the father of Mehujael. Mehujael was the father of Methushael. Methushael was the father of Lamech. Seven, if you start from Adam, Lamech is seventh, okay? Again, we talked about sevens being significant. It's kind of the completeness. It's the fullness of the line of Cain is here in Lamech. And look at what Lamech does. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. First poetry. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. What, Cain, what Lamech is saying here is, you know what, Cain, Cain was going to get avenged seven times. I am 77 times. And I've murdered a young man. I have killed him for wounding me. And, and, and what we begin to see here is this downward spiral and, and where Lamech is much more vengeful and, and much more violent than Cain was. And we see just how violent and vengeful you and I can be, that there is something inside of us that when we get wounded, We want to strike out. There is something inside each and every one of us, and it's stronger in some of us than in others. But when somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back. And it's because we are in the line of Cain. It's because we are part of that. It's because we are sinners. That's what the Bible says. We are not naturally good any longer, but we are naturally people who are violent and vengeful. That's who I am. That's who you are. We want to hurt others. The other one I want to talk about is this sons of God and the daughters of Eve. This is one of those passages you can go to school tomorrow and say, did you know this was in the Bible? Look at this, Genesis 6, 1 and 2. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. What? The sons of God saw that the daughters of human were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. And verse 4 is going to tell us they had children. Now the question here is, who are the sons of God? What is this story talking about? Who are these sons of God who, who ended up marrying and having children with the daughters of humans? Two main possibilities, okay? Again, this isn't completely clear to anybody. Two main possibilities that I'll throw out to you, and if you make me choose one, I can tell you that. But the first one is... And this is probably, in a sense, the easiest one from the text, but it's angels or spiritual beings. The only other place this phrase is used in the Old Testament is in the book of Job, and there it clearly refers to angels. And so what, what Moses would be saying here, what the author Moses is telling us, is that at some point angels were up in heaven, and they looked down and they saw how beautiful women were, how beautiful the daughters of humans, the daughters of Eve were, and they said, hey... Uh, even though God didn't create us to have sex, but I, I mean, this is great. And so they, they left heaven and they went down and they married these women and, and, and they produced children with them. 
and, and so it's a story, possibly, one possibility is that it's these angels who are having sex with human beings. And, 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 and like I say, the only other place this phrase is used in the Old Testament, that's what it means. And, that's, and, and so that's a, a possibility. Now, we can point out and say, nothing like this happens anywhere else in Scripture. It happens a lot in other stories. In, in most of the other creation stories from that time, that's how people came to be. The gods had sex with one person and then more and all this stuff happened. And, 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 and so from a, a godly standpoint or from, from the angel's standpoint, rather the spiritual standpoint, they're saying it's beautiful from a human standpoint. It's a chance to kind of maybe grab on to living forever because if you can have sex with an angel, then maybe your offspring will live forever or something. But whatever it is, it's, it's really wrong, Okay. The, the problem with this one would be crossing sexual lines, okay? It, the, the badness about this would be that, you know, God said, hey, look, there are certain categories, there are certain types, and, 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 and God created, we said this when we looked at creation, that, that each one was according to its kind. And so God created humans to have sex with humans and, 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 and not others, and, and, and this would just be, and, and the challenge here is for us to say, well, yeah, I've never wanted to have sex with an angel. I, I, I've never had that but do you have sexual sin in your life? Rich Mao, I think, does a wonderful job of challenging us. He said, you know, we, we've used these terms that there's gay and there's straight. And he said, ain't no human being straight because sin also affects every one of us in our sexual drives. And it's one of the places where we fail. Now, this is really gross perversion. This is way over the line. I mean, this is nuts if that's what it is and, and, and so on. But it shows how low we can go and it shows how messed up we can be in our sexual lives, that we try to just, just ignore completely the, the, the things that God has said are appropriate about sex belonging in marriage and so on, right? And, and, and so that's that possibility. That's one possibility, that it's angels or spiritual beings. The other one, and again, because there's no hint of this, of, of angels having sex with humans throughout the rest of Scripture, is that what this refers to is, is kings or princes on earth. And I, if I have to guess, this is one I'm more prone toward. It was kings or princes on earth. Again, it's not in the Old Testament that sons of God refers to the sons of kings or whatever, but in that culture it did, okay? And and there was something going on, not in every uh, community around Israel at this time, but there was something going on in the people of Israel, around the nations around them, um, called, uh, what it's called is the the right of the first night. And what would happen was this. And this is what this might be referring to. What would happen is this. Let's say that you were a peasant or a slave or a lowly person in a kingdom, right? You are going to get married. You are going to get married. The king, because he is powerful, can demand the right of the first night. And what that means is you get married, he gets the first night with the bride. That was the right of the first night. You go ahead and get married. But the king, anytime he wants, he can demand what he wants. And so the sons of God, the powerful people, are marrying whomever they choose. And, and, and if that's the case, this would be an abuse of power, a huge abuse of power. That those in power are just showing, saying, I will take whatever I want. I, I, I don't care if it's your wife. I'm in power. I'm the king. I get whatever I want, and I will take whatever I want. And, 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 and if that's the case, then what's happening is these, these powerful people are just taking advantage of those who can't say no. And again, that's part of us. We say it, right? Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, right? Absolute power corrupts, and we see it over and over again. 
And I say to any of us who are in positions of power, and more of you are than you think. If you are a parent, you are in a position of power. If you are a therapist, you are in a position of power. If you are a pastor, you are in a position of power. If, if, if you are a business owner or a manager, you are in a position of power. And, and like these sons of God, we have this amazing ability to justify abusing our power. To justify saying, I deserve this. I'm the one who signs all the paychecks. I'm the one who makes all this happen. So yeah, it wouldn't be right for others. But I have the burden of running the company on my shoulders, so I get to take this. And, and we have this amazing ability to harm others. We have this amazing ability. Again, you see it with teachers and students and, and, and some of the stuff that goes on there. You see it with, with therapists, with pastors who abuse members of their congregation. I, I will tell you this. I think at one level, anytime a pastor has a sexual relationship with somebody in the church, it is abuse. It is not an affair, it is abuse. Why? Because a pastor is in a position of authority. One of the sons of God, so to speak. A pastor is in a position of authority. And, 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 and it's never an equal thing. It is always abuse. That's why we say with a teacher, and uh, when it's at work, you, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And, and so it could be that that's what's going on in these cultures, that these guys are just kind of saying, I will take whatever I want. I will t-. And again, we say, well, I've never done that. I don't make my employees, you know, if they get married, I don't make my employees let me sleep with their wives first. I, good. Thank you. But let's just be honest. We're a mixed bag, friends. And there can be things that we do that we're not even aware we're doing because we just rationalize it. We just rationalize it. So something is terribly wrong about this. Genesis 6, 3, then the Lord God said, then the Lord said, excuse me, my spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal or a better translation I think is corrupt and their days will be 120 years. So this is where we get that limitation. God's saying, you know what? We're not going to let you go on forever. Again, I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's some kind of really gross sin. Either it's angels and humans or it's powerful, just people just taking advantage of those who don't have as much power as they do and and forcing them to do what they shouldn't do. So we can be bad, but if we pay attention to what's going on in this chapter, something amazing happens. Even at our worst, we still bear the image of God. Even at our worst, we still bear the image of God. Look at the line of Cain, right? We said Lamech is the one who is vengeful and violent. 77 times, he's going to just take care of it. He is the one who's going to, if you hurt him, he is going to destroy you. But look at what else Cain, uh, Lamech produces. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. Look at what Jabal is. He is the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. Now, do you remember what God told Adam and Eve they were supposed to do? They were supposed to subdue the earth. They were supposed to fill it. They were supposed to work it. They were supposed to develop it. They were supposed to do this. And, 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 and one of Lamech's kids, violent, probably, vengeful, probably, but he's also the one who, who begins farming. He is the father of all the farmers. He is the fa- he's got this amazing ability to cultivate and to grow and, and, and to nurture and to develop. And, and so this same person, on the one hand, violent. On the other hand, you know, Lamech produces all this violence, but he also produces a son who is the father of those who live in tents and raise stock. His brother's name was Jubal, Jabal and Jubal. There you go if you've got twins. Um, he was the, what, the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. We got music in the arts, Right? Lamech is the father of those who develop music. What a mixed bag. 
Who is this guy? Is he the worst person you've ever met? Or is he the best person you've ever met? Yes. Even at our worst, God is still, he still bears the image of God and his kids do this stuff. Zillah, the other wife, also had a son, Tubal Cain, who what? Forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. I have no idea what that maybe is. But anyway, but, so now we get technology. Now we get technology. And so the line of Cain, it shows us that we can all be vengeful and violent, but it also shows us, it also shows us that, that there is still this creative ability and the ability to develop technology and the ability to write songs and to make music and, and, and to write plays and to tell stories and to do all of these things. And it's in the same people because we are created in the image of God and we now bear the image of Adam. The sons and the daughters. Again, real speculative here, okay? But look at what happens in verse 4. This is the Nephilim, the giants, were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of human and had children by them. Okay, so it doesn't say necessarily the Nephilim were the children, but some people suggest it is. So again, real speculative here. But they were heroes of old, men of renown. <laughs> so hold on. I, 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 again, don't, we're, we're just trying to figure it out. But we get this at least next to each other and maybe caused by each other that, that this relationship, uh, again, maybe it is uh, that, that these, if it's, the, if it's that these are the powerful princes and kings who are demanding this from these, from these right of the first night things, that they're offspring. I mean, they're heroes. They're, they're men of renown. They, that maybe those offspring are standing up to fight against those prince sons of God who did the first thing, the thing in the first place. They, they maybe, they, but you, again, somehow out of this, God brings heroes. Somehow at the same time, God is bringing heroes who are people of renown, who are, and, and so do you see how we get this? It's, it, it, it's such a mixed bag. And well, we'll, let me apply it a little bit. Okay, so we can be bad, but even at our worst, we still bear the image of God. We can be good, okay? We can be good. Think about this. Let me show you some examples, three of them. Seth, okay? Back to chapter four. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began, what? To call on the name of the Lord. They began to worship. They began to pray. They began to, and, and so we get the, the line of Cain, which is, is going to be primarily negative and violent and vengeful, but still some good stuff in it. And we get the line of Seth, and Seth is going to be a much more godly line. Seth is going to be a much more honoring line, okay? And, and so Seth called out to the Lord. Look at Enoch. Some of you uh, remember this part. This is one of those sections, one of those, like I said, ten are the, seven are the same, three are different. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch should have said lived. But he didn't just live. He walked faithfully with God. He didn't just live. He walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. That's the the same. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. and And then he died. But it doesn't say that. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. And as far as we can tell, what that really means is Enoch didn't die. Ray Steadman tells a story of a little girl trying to explain this story to her father. And I don't know if it's true or not, but it's, it's kind of a cute one. But anyway, he says, you know, this girl comes home and says, Dad, I've got to tell you about Enoch. And he says, well, what, what happened with Enoch? Well, Enoch walked with God. Well, well, and Dad knew the story. He said, well, how did Enoch die? And Dad, it's crazy because Enoch walked with God, and they walked so far one day that God finally just said to him, Enoch, we're closer to my home than yours. Why don't you just come home with me? 
and he was gone. I mean, right, wouldn't that, I mean, it, 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 we were created, and we still have that possibility of walking with God. You were created for that intimacy, that closeness with God. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We can be good, but what we need to understand is even at our best, we are still sinners, okay? Even at our best, we were still sinners. One of the things that that chapter 5, all were sinners, and all they died, except for Enoch, all of them died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. They all still died. Because even when we get it right, we're still sinners. And Noah, Noah messes up after the flood. We'll get there. But Noah, God's found favor in God's eyes. Friends, we are all a mixed bag. We can be bad, but even at our worst, we still bear the image of God. We can be good, but even at our best, we are still, best, we are still sinners. And, and I want to just think about the implications of this. Again, I know the time and, and so on, so the last one's going to be really short. But this is so important to understand, okay? Every human being is a mixed bag, all right? That means, first of all, human beings have pretty amazing abilities, but we often use them for bad things. Think about it. Splitting an atom. Splitting an atom. Can you imagine the brain of people to put this together to something that you and I can't even see, to split it and to unleash enough energy to turn on lights and to run pumps so that there can be fresh water and to do all these amazing things, right? It is a God-like capability. It is in the image of God that those people... But what do we do with it? We build bombs that can destroy entire cities because we are a mixed bag. Think about the internet. I mean, you want to talk about something amazing. The amount of information that is available to us. I have a, a, a friend who was a computer geek. I mean, honestly, in, in high school, he was working for the Department of Defense. Okay? He... He was getting his PhD at Stanford, then he went to work for IBM, and he really was, more than Al Gore, actually part of developing the internet. And he said, they're, they're doing this at IBM and, and, and at Stanford and all this stuff. And he said, everybody's talking about, think of how much good we're going to be able to do that doctors in this country can talk to doctors in this country. And, and he said, you know what? I sat there one day and I said, and pedophiles here can talk to pedophiles here, and child porn here can get to child porn there. And he walked away from it all and went and got a PhD in Old Testament and said, I don't want to help people get bad faster. I want to help people get hearts that honor God. I thought, what a, I mean, that is just, it, the internet is such a mix. Because you are a mix. Because I am a mix. It is so amazing. Look at the arts. Look at movies. It is amazing the way people can tell stories. So powerful. But the stories we tell and the ways we use them can be so corrupt and so wrong. Cell phones you get stuck in the snow, you can call somebody for help. But most people use them to take pictures of their body parts or of themselves and send them places they shouldn't. And it's like you can now be in a room with five kids and, and, and none of them are there because they're all talking to somebody else and we don't know how to talk to each other anymore because we have cell phones and we don't have to talk to anybody in the same room. And we have this amazing ability and, and it's kind of, it's because of who we are. It's not because of the stuff. I don't care what it is. It can be used to glorify God or to destroy his creation. So humans have pretty amazing abilities, right? And that means we've just got to discern and recognize that we are a mixed bag. We are the line of image of God, image of Adam, the line of Cain, and, 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 and the line of Seth. That's all of our story. Second, we should put our ultimate trust in God, not in a person. 
There is no pastor, there is no politician who can save you. And never put all your trust in a person because all of us are mixed bags. We tend to want to make people either good or bad. We were discussing this week at, at, on our staff uh, during the week on Friday, Thursday, Friday, um, a pastor who's one of the fa- pastors of the fa- one of the fastest growing churches in the country, amazingly gifted, unbelievably great communicator, and has done amazing things for God. Their church has given away more than $10 million in the city to help people who are hungry and homeless. And yet this guy is doing some stuff that is just foolish. He, he's got, just between us, okay, he had them write up Sunday school curriculum where the kids color pictures of him. Everybody on the staff said, Ron, they just draw whales, so don't try it. But, <laughs> I mean, you go, and, and, and we kind of said, I like this guy. Is he good or is he bad? The answer is yes. He's both. So am I. And I might get it right, but I'm also going to get it wrong. So don't believe in me. Believe in Jesus. And don't believe. Again, we want politicians. We want them to be good or bad. Guess what? They're all a mixed bag. We want political parties to be good or bad. Guess what? They're all a mixed bag. We can deceive ourselves pretty easy. We have to be careful. This should remind us that we have to be careful of saying, well, I just do the right thing. I just do the right thing. I just don't. I, I try. I do my best to try to do the right thing. But I can deceive myself. And, and, and Noah, I mean, he saves the world, so to speak. And then he goes and just does some really bad stuff. And I need to be aware and humble. Now, on the other hand, I also need to be aware when I've blown it that I still bear the image of God. I still bear the image of God. You are a mixed bag. And apart from God, we're going to get worse and worse, okay? We're going to get worse and worse. We're east of Eden, and what's happening is we're spiraling. And, and look at this, kind of the conclusion of this in 6.5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Wow. Now, this is a little overstatement, because Noah was there, Noah found favor in the eyes of the gods. So, I mean... <laughs> But on our own, what this is teaching us is on our own, we will get further and further, we will spiral lower and lower and lower. Unless God gives us any amount of grace, we will continue to get worse and violent and vengeful, and we will get worse, and this is where we end up. Apart from God, we're going to get worse and worse. So because of sin, every human being is a mixed bag. Now we're halfway, right? No, we're not. God doesn't, the second thing, and this is, I'm not going to spend much time on it because we're going to spend more time later, but the wonderful good news is God doesn't give up on his world. God doesn't give up on us. He is sorely tempted to. We need to take this seriously. He is regretful and deeply troubled. Look at 6 verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. I'm sorry I did this. I mean, that's what God said. And his heart was deeply troubled. God said, I I didn't know they could go this bad this fast. And God knows everything. But you know, I mean, God is just going, I, look at this. Look at this. Why did I do this? God regrets it. He's regretful and deeply troubled, and then he decides to wipe every living thing out. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and within the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. I guess fish get a pass, for I regret that I have made them. 
God says, I will do this. I will do this. He decides to wipe every living thing out. And then something that happens here and several other times in Scripture, and it's the only reason you and I are here today, that God stops himself. And he doesn't give up. That's the main storyline of the Bible. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He stops himself. He's ready to just wipe it out. He has every reason, every right, every permission to wipe everything out. But God says, I'm not done yet. I'm going to keep coming after him and keep coming after him. And he does it again. And and if you read a chapter in Hosea, God says, you know what? I should wipe out my people, but my heart is torn within me. I can't let them go because I love them too much. And God finally goes to the place where he says, all right, I'll send my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that they can come back home. The heart of what we believe here is that, yes, we are mixed bags. That's true. Every human being is a mixed bag. But the heart of what we believe, what holds our lives together, is that God does not give up on his world. And friends, that is our only hope. That is our only hope, okay? We need to understand that. There is no hope in a political party. There is no ultimate hope in a a, a scientist. There is no technology that's going to save us. But God is not going to give up on us. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could have new life. Don't look for it anywhere else. Because in him, in him we can be made new. You're a mixed bag, so am I. Amazingly capable to be good and amazingly capable to be awful. But in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And we are made new. Let's pray together. Father, we'd rather have things just one way or the other, and yet we know this is true, that we are like Lamech and like Seth, that we are like Noah before and after the flood, that we do it right and we do it wrong. And so, Father, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Thank you for continuing to love us in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting benediction? Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from the uh, hillside in the prayer room there. If you'd like to talk with somebody, they'd be happy to meet with, uh, meet with you and to pray with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we know, may we know that at our best and our worst, God is still with us and he doesn't give up on us. And he gave his son Jesus to be with us. Go in God's grace. Amen.